Church Father Friday. Agnes Day, Nick. We're waiting for it. We're not starting without it. Okay, hang on. I've got something for you. I've okay. got something for you. <clears throat> you ready? I'm ready. Psyched. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Um, the best and the best version in the world is Debbie and Ari at GraceNet. Yeah. Don't don't listen to the indelible grace version. No. Go to GraceNet and hear it there. Best that, version ever. It is. They do a great job of that. It's amazing. But that was awesome, man. That <laughs> riff was just beautiful. I think we've got a winner. I think we've got our new thing. Or at least uh no, yeah, I think that's good. If you put that on a tape, we can use that. We will use that. Yeah, I've got a I've got a wax it still. It's uh, yeah. it's a bit rough. Yeah, totally but <clears throat> hey, that's exciting. Cool. Well, anyway, it's not quite like, it's not patriot. I mean, it's not anti-Nicene father, but you know what I mean? It's uh, not Agnes Day. But, but it is two-age sojourner, That's which is true. okay. That's true. And especially in light of what we're looking at this uh, particular episode with uh, the famous epistle of Methetes to Diognetus. Um, mm. And any two-kingdom guy worth his salt knows about this epistle um, because it's describing... Um, you know, the, the early Christian life, um, and doing so in a way that just, uh, speaks, uh, resonates deeply with the two kingdom model and, um, obviously get, yeah. uh, just give some credence to it at this point in history. Um, so, uh, I'm reading it from just like a random website. You can get it in uh, Philip Schaff's kind of, uh, uh, A&F volumes, but, um, yeah, what are you reading there, Nick? So I, I got a Kindle book for like two dollars called oh, yeah. the Complete Anti Nicene and Nicene and Post Nicene Church Father Collection. Cool. Is that the Philip Schaff uh, edition or? Uh, I think it is. Yeah. yeah, it's like thirty-seven volumes all in one. Well, the good thing about that is that like he does give nice little you know intros and comments and, and basically from a, a Protestant perspective, you know, which is um, yeah. really helpful because you have to navigate your way through some That's kind good. of weird stuff, you know. So yeah, um, okay. So, anyways, we just thought this is a good one. I mean, we kind of randomly were jumping around. There's some. I personally had my eye on a on a spurious letter that I was kind of hoping to to talk about, but uh, you know, I mean, if, if Nick was going to come up with infancy gospel stuff, I mean, why not why not do a spurious letter? But um, um, this is kind of semi spurious, so we can they're all semi spurious is what we kind of need to say, I suppose. Yeah, you know, every one of them I mean, is so not. I mean, I was I was I was really blown away when I read it. I mean, yeah. there's some outstanding statements on imputation and justification. Yeah, they are. and it's it's exceptionally early. It was written around one thirty, mm-hmm. and uh, there is some debate about whether Methetes, which means a disciple, is a name, mm-hmm. or whether it's the apostle of a disciple to Diognetus. Mm-hmm. 
Some people have tried to suggest that Diognetus was uh, one of the instructors of Marcus Aurelius. Right. But uh, it's probably not. No. I mean, I, I was under the impression he was a procurator from Alexandria, right? Uh, have you got a different story there? Or? <clears throat> oh, just a little background reading. Um, I, it's No one really knows who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think for, I can't remember where I got this. It was something to do with, uh, um, um, I think it was either just pre or post Deccan persecution. Um, and this guy was in, this happening around Alexandria. Um, so I don't know if that helps anyone with the timeline and the history, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, we're not exactly digging into this in, in massive amounts of detail in terms of uh, a study of each letter, but really more just wanting to just dig them up and read them, you know, and, uh, just, yeah. just tuck into some of the treasures. There's real value in just doing that. You know, you know, I think one of the big intimidating factors about these early church works is that you feel like, wow, you know, it just, it's so far beyond anything on our radar it's a little bit different even to the bible where you've got tons of study helps you know on the bible and and you know it's such well-worn territory in that sense um and you've got just everything that 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 has looked into the various contexts and can help you figure out what's being said but with these uh early church um letters they tend to just fall into obscurity and not even be read because uh, it's just, it feels difficult, <laughs> you know, it just feels like, what are you even talking about a lot of the time? Mm. But I think, <laughs> you know, I think one of the yeah. other things that happens is once you actually start reading them, you know, it just becomes a matter of, okay, I don't understand everything, but you know, that was really helpful. Oh, wow. That's a really good thing. And I, I remember reading at some point, yeah. one of the guys who comments on these, um, uh, epistles says, you know, the bottom line is it's always worth reading all of them. And I like that. It's kind of just, you know, they'll all, if you're ever in two minds about it, just read it. And, uh, and I haven't found yeah. that I've yet got through anything of any of these little epistles, even, even the spurious ones, to be honest, you know, as long as they're not moving into some really weird territory, they are often just mm. bringing about some good truth or, and in a profound way, and they've been recorded for whatever reason, and um, they just become part of the Christian tradition. So uh, yeah. worth reading in that sense. I mean, I find that it, it fills in the blanks because, you know, I've, I have a sort of a fundamentalist bias right. that everyone in church history always got it all wrong. Yes. And it's, it's so good to actually read these guys and say, hey, there's some really good stuff in there that preceded the Reformation. You know, mm. justification by faith wasn't created at the Reformation. Right, right. You know, the Trinity wasn't created at Nicaea, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> totally. Um, so, yeah, it's really just encouraging from that point of view. Massive, massive. All righty, yeah. good. Um, let's go so ahead. So you're wanting to ju jump into chapter five and six, looking at the Christian in the world <coughs> sort of thing? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, overall, there are 12 chapters in this thing. And um, I think probably it's going to be too long even to read this in uh, in a series. You know, it's a lot of text. So it's one of the bigger things we're going to have to just take snippets um, for. Yep, cool. Um, yeah. Good. So you've got well, some comments for us? Let me give a little summary then of the first four chapters, yep. and then we can jump into chapter five. Mm -hmm. So chapter one is the occasion of the epistle, mm -hmm. where uh, Methetes writes to Diognetus, who seems to be a sincere seeker, mm -hmm. who has been impressed with this new piety that's come about, and he wants to know more about it. And chapter two launches straight into, because it seems that Diognetus is not a, a Christian. So yeah. chapter two launches into a sort of Isaiah type diatribe against idols. Yeah. Um, he's got some, I'll just read you one or two uh, comments here. He mm -hmm. says, 
at the beginning of chapter 2. Come then, after you have freed yourself from all prejudices possessing your mind, and laid aside what you have been accustomed to as something apt to deceive you, and being made as if from the beginning a new man inasmuch according to your own confession. You are to be the hearer of a new system of doctrine. Come and contemplate, not with your eyes only, but with your understanding, the substance and the form of those whom ye declare and deem to be gods. And basically, that's the opening salvo to say, well, let's talk about the gods that you call gods. And he, you know, he, he talks about the fact that they're made of stone, they're made mm, of brass, mm. they're made of wood, they're made of silver, they can be stolen, they rust. Mm. And uh, just the, the traditional Isaiah sort of attack. You know, you take a piece of wood, you chop it up with one half of the wood, you make an idol with the other half, you cook your food. Mm, you know? mm. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, you know, you yeah. have to put a guard outside them so they don't get stolen. <laughs> so that's what chapter two is all about. It's right. sort of a mockery of, of the deadness of idols. Yes. Um, I struggled with chapter three and four because yeah. it's, um, so what, on the one hand, he takes on the, on the Gentiles mm-hmm. and their idolatry. And then on the other hand, he takes on the Jews and what he calls the superstitions of the Jews and their other observances, including their Sabbaths and circumcision and the new moons and the fastings and so on. Yeah. But it seemed to me that he, the attitude and the tone was more in line with the Stoics Mm. who would be against all forms of superstition. Mm -hmm. So this book doesn't reflect a high view of the Old Testament. It doesn't talk about types and shadows. It doesn't Mm. talk about progressive revelation. It doesn't talk about how the law is good and spiritual. It's all just put under the banner of superstition. Mm. Mm. So if you just watch out for that, you know, you might just get a sense of what was in the air. But yeah, I think it was, it's too low a view of the Old Testament. Right. uh, Right. Got it. Yeah. And that brings us to chapter five. So the manners of Christians. Mm, good. Okay. Uh, chapter five. Who's reading it? Me. Yeah, you start. All right. Uh, it's called The Manners of the Christians. <clears throat> For the Christians, he says, are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit mm. cities of their own, nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. Man, I love that. That's, um, that's very important. They, that's don't have so a, important. they don't have a uniform. Yeah. They don't, you know, like Gloravel's got a uniform, mm-hmm. this distinct form of clothing which sets them apart. Yeah. You know, that they glory in the fact that they're a peculiar people. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> they take that literally. But uh-huh. yeah, there's nothing to mark them out as being weird. No. Or, or otherworldly. We often talk about, you know, uh, this, and I, I remember just this hitting me um, between the eyes when I read it for the first time in uh, Michael Horton's Where in the World is the Church? But um, the way he talks about us getting it 100% wrong in evangelical churches most of the time, in that we want to stick out like sore thumbs with our Christian t-shirts or Israel t-shirts or whatever, whatever's going on in, in uh, Christian yeah. paraphernalia at the time, and uh, really just don't look quite, I mean, you know, you can spot the Christian, you know, it's quite easy usually, um, because yeah. they are a little bit odd and weird and in, in not good ways, you know, just because they've imbibed evangelical culture, and it's um, brought them into a kind of seclusion from the rest of the world in a needless way. Um, and then, and then the irony though, is that you go to the church services and that feels very at home in the world because it looks like a rock concert or something, you know? And that's the one time, that's the one time when you can speak your Christianese. It's the one time when you can, uh, you know, be your pe- uh, peculiar people and, and, um, yes. you know, with your own liturgy and all that. And so, yeah, I mean, look, I think that's, that's a big point and it's just encouraging to see that, that, that they are, you know, uh, if you think about so much of church history, 
uh, in so much of Christianity, it, it really didn't observe that first sentence, you know? Um, yeah. They, they, have, they have sought to have an identity of their own visually, like Israel or something, and they've blended mm-hmm. the kingdoms, and it's just been a mess. So to see that <clears throat> really happening that early is, is super encouraging. Um, and it's like where we are right now. It's where we need to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. So sentence two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sentence three, the course of conduct. <laughs> okay. The, co- the course of conduct which they follow has uh, not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men, nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines, but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them has determined, and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary con- conduct, uh, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. Boom. Mm. Lovely. Again, go. same thing again, uh, in that you're seeing there is a peculiarness to the people. It's not in the ordinary stuff, in the common stuff. But yeah. in their striking method of life, in their countercultural embrace yeah, of kingdom ethics, yeah, yeah. Um, man, love that. All right, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, two age sojourners. Should say, I think it should say two age sojourners. They, they dwell are. in their. I think. I think. Yeah, that, that's a corrupted text right there. I think it actually says they dwell in their own countries, but simply as two age sojourners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Anyways, good. Glad you guys uh, got onto this episode. Straighten that out. Um, anyways, as citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every mm. foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. Uh, right. So what, what, I, I've quoted this so many times in so many sermons. Wow. It's been overly done by me. But, um, I mean, there it is right there in that, you know, there's your ultimate allegiance. There's your dual citizenship. There's your, um, you know, your literally your two-ageness coming through there. Um, yeah. Um, your ability to kind of loosely hold the things of this world, you know, um, to not feel that you need to hold on to your rights in quite the same way uh, that you would as if, uh, if at least you were only a citizen of this world. Uh, it's really mm. the, the thing that gives empowerment to, to living in a world of injustice in many ways, uh, which is what the rest of the, the, the passage is about. Uh, but he says, Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others, uh, in brackets there. They beget children. Uh, but they do not destroy their offspring. Hmm. No abortion. Yeah. Yeah. They have a common table, but not a common bed. Hmm. Mm. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. That's a, that's also, that's a good tattoo good. right there. Um, they're in the flesh, <laughs> you know, they don't, they're not denying flesh. Um, they're not Gnostic. Uh, but they don't live after it. It's not their only hope. Second uh, Corinthians ten three, um, they pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. I mean, look, uh, mm. how amazing is that as well? You know, That's just a, very good. Yeah, just they a, go beyond the law because they live according to love. 
exactly yeah. just a good understanding there of, of what the law is all about and you know it's it's the normative law is there but it's it's there's they're surpassing yeah. the laws of the land it's great and and it also you know they're not legalistic yeah because it's it's not about keeping the bare minimum which is often what legalism uh, is reduced to there we go yeah great great point yeah yeah almost um i mean it's like <clears throat> it feels almost augustinian in that you know just just you know love god and do whatever you want you know, yeah. Um, yeah. they they love all men and are persecuted by all, uh, and I think that's where the Decian, I, or I don't know if you pronounce it Decian or uh, Decian or something. I can't remember now. But um, uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a distance education student, so that stuff doesn't bother me. Decian, Decian. Um, they are they're put uh, they're persecuted by all. So I've, they might have been going through some real. This might have been a really and truly impressive part of their life. Um, in that they well, were... Domitian's uh, reign of terror would have happened uh, in the nineties, forty right. years before this point. Yeah. So, yeah. So at some level, they would have they would have experienced something, and um, and you know to to have this, I mean, would have been a, it would have been a striking witness for the faith. Uh, but it says they are unknown and condemned, uh, yet they are put to death and restored to life. Uh, they are poor yet make many rich. Uh, they are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They mm. are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. Paradox of the Christian life. Eh? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, it's, it sounds Pauline, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would just not be, I would I would not even flinch if this was like in the Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd be like, wow, that's yeah. Paul waxing eloquent right there. You know. Here comes the Reformation in the next line. Okay. They are uh, evilly spoken of, and yet are justified. Boom. <laughs> yeah. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks, yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. Man. Amen. Crazy. Wow. Now, I, you know, at some level, you, you wonder if he was, you know, idealizing the whole thing or, uh, you know, because I mean, I, I haven't yet met a community of Christians quite this awesome, you know? And um, <laughs> Well, I think, you know, it's the community of Christians was probably only around 50 years old. Right. Um, so they didn't have the long history of Christian hypocrisy that we have to try and... Uh, witness in light of yeah but i mean look even in the new testament you've got the corinthians behaving like a bunch of hooligans you know and uh and and even just all those heresies going on with paul backing them off every every two seconds so it would have been quite impressive if this was the case i think Mm. probably persecution itself would have had a purifying effect yeah Yeah, i think so um, because that's the one time you, you do sort of see this thing, this kind of thing, you know, these striking instances of the sojourning yeah. Christian life. It's, it's not usually in Christendom. It's usually when, when, uh, that, that is the only option, you know? Amen. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Cool. What a beautiful, beautiful Chap- chapter. That's, <laughs> that's that, amazing. That, eh? that should be our, our slogan for the show, man. That's amazing. That's just, yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. Should we do chapter six? Yeah. The relation of Christians to the world. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I'll begin reading. To sum up all in one word, what the soul is in the body, that are Christians in the world. 
Mm. The soul is dispersed through all the members of the body, and Christians are scattered through all the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body, yet is not of the body. And Christians dwell in the world, yet are not of the world. So that is not a, a Christian bumper sticker mm-hmm. that was original to Methodists. <laughs> <laughs> in the world, but not of the world. Totally, totally. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, he... You know, almost like I, I feel like some part of me wants to reject that analogy, but I think you know, insofar as it it makes the uh, the point, you know, that there is an invisible church. Yeah, I'm that, loving it. I'm loving it because you know, Anabaptist theology says, "Come out from among them." Yeah, the cities are the biggest places of sin. Don't be in the cities. Get into the country. Hmm. Live in a valley outside the towns and keep yourselves holy. But this is no. Scattered through all the cities of the world. Right, like leaven. Yeah, and that, that's, love it. Yeah, exactly, this invisible <laughs> leaven. Which, uh, you know, and so what I was going to say there is, is you know, as much as we might sort of, I don't know, not not be as quick to use the, I don't know, the the dichotomous sort of thing. In, in, uh, you know, at the same time, we would be very quick to talk about the invisible, like a healthy doctrine of the kingdom now in the overlap of the ages is going to think mm. is not going to be thinking of a visible um, institutional manifestation of that kingdom beyond the church perhaps but 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 you know in terms of that individual church out in the world thing that's exactly what it's going to be like like a invisible soul in a visible body you know it's it's a great <laughs> yeah. analogy so yeah cool carrying on mm-hmm. the invisible soul is guarded by the visible body and christians are known to be indeed are known indeed to be in the world but their godliness remains invisible. Mm. The flesh hates the soul and wars against it, though itself suffering no injury because it is prevented from enjoying pleasures. The world also hates the Christians, though in no wise injured because they abjure pleasures. Mm. And there probably is a little bit of asceticism creeping mm, in here. Mm, exactly, yeah. <clears throat> um, the, soul, the soul loves the flesh that hates it. And loves also the members. Christians likewise love those that hate them. Hmm. It's, 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 it's a pretty good extended analogy if you take out the assumption. Well, it's sounds like if, if you, as I was just thinking, if you put the adjective Adamic flesh instead of body, you know, um, yeah. you know, it would just totally solve it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, in that we're, we're, we're not sort of, we're not going Gnostic or anything by denying the body, but it's, it's, it's the flesh. It's the Pauline use of the term flesh that, that we're hmm. after here. And, um, you know, I was just thinking, I'm, I'm preaching through Joshua, Cam, and, um, you know, there I, I have no problem in, in seeing Joshua's conquest. I mean, I realize there is obviously a big eschatological intrusion going on there, and, you know, ultimately that's pointing forward to the army of the Lord coming and finally, uh, really, we're, yeah. we're talking about heaven and hell and glory and new creation. But as there's a tension and overlap of the ages, um, you have a sense in which the kingdom now advance, advancing spiritually in mission and sanctification in the redeemed. Uh, you know, there is a right application to think of, of, of kind of like the reason I don't want to go there is I often hear the, the charismatic kind of preachers and they'll be like, well, you got to kill the Amalekites. That means kill your sin, you know? <laughs> and uh, I kind of want to go away from that. But it is true, I think, that, that the enemies, the Adamic, fall the cursed enemies of god right 
in the, you know is well represented by the Adamic flesh you know individually you know it's 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 the enemy of the greatest enemy of your soul uh, is is you in that sense and um, mm. and you are to put to death the the deeds of the body and 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 so uh, you know I have no problem in, as long as we're qualifying things properly and so I think they're they're just simply making that that uh, comparison to the soul and the body and uh, and and it's great you know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Carrying on then. The soul yeah. is imprisoned in the body. There's your Gnostic yeah, thoughts again. Yeah, there's the Gnostic thing. Yeah. Yet preserves that very body. And Christians are confined in the world as in a prison, and yet they are the preservers of the world. That's the notion of salt and light. Mm. The immortal soul dwells in a mortal tabernacle, mm. and Christians dwell as sojourners in corruptible bodies, mm. looking for an incorruptible dwelling in the heavens. The soul when but ill provided with food and drink becomes better so there's your asceticism again mm -hmm. in like manner the christians though subjected day by day to punishment increase the more in number mm. god has assigned them this illustrious position which it were unlawful for them to forsake mm. it's good Mm, totally and one thing Very that good. i haven't obviously looked into the textual criticism of it all but I think it's always a lingering question as to exactly how much were, was ducted by later ascetics and Gnostics, you know? So you just don't yeah. know that. Um, it, it could have, it could have, the, the text might've been corrupted. You know, you don't know, you don't know with the same level of assurance that, you know, the Bible says what it says that this guy said what he said, you know? And so I suppose that has two edges to the sword in that it might cut, cut back on your favorite parts and it might, um, it might also mean that it preserves some of the epistle from some of its errors. But um, the other thing I was going to say as well is that you um, you have this this uh, this issue of um, Gnosticism and and all of the you know it's very interesting that this would be the 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 kind of I don't know flagship text for the doctrine of two kingdoms because a lot of what two kingdom doctrine gets accused of is a dualistic Gnosticism even today, you know? Yeah. And so I think one of the things I want to kind of stand back from is, is go, okay, I just, as someone who totally embraces a two kingdom thing and this whole sojourning idea, um, I definitely don't want to in any way say that I've, you know, embraced the Gnostic thing. Um, but I just can't help but feel that I'd rather lean in this direction than another direction, you know? Um, I've always felt yeah. that way, um, rather than get overly earthly and forget the spiritual component. Because if you read through the New Testament, um, man, there's just no way to get around it. Yes, it was a Gnostic, you know, <laughs> but my goodness, I mean, there is a very strong reality that Paul is talking about there with spirit and flesh and and, um, Hasn't the pendulum just swung backwards and forwards throughout church, uh, church history? Because here we've got a slight Gnosticism, but then by the time of Constantine, we've got it swung all the way over to a one kingdom scenario. Right. Well, you know, and then it's back into the monasteries, and then it's well, you know <laughs> exactly, totally. And it's, now one of the big solutions, and hence the title to age sojourner as well, is that Paul, when he uses this very kind of language, is speaking less in terms of, and I think this helps, less in terms of the Gnostic dualism of soul and spirit, and um, more in terms of this age and the age to come. So anything spiritual is this, uh, at least uh, the age to come, obviously involving bodies as well, um, and anything this this earthly or this age temporal is um, is both 
soul and body, but you know, uh, it's represented by the Adamic flesh more than it is by the, that which is incorruptible. So it's like the same language is in view, but we know with Paul, he's talking about this, this two age eschatology idea. Um, mm. and, and, you know, while, while I think it might be a stretch to say that, that, uh, Methetes is thinking in two age eschatological terms, um, <laughs> it, it, it at least helps to read it is what I'm saying. So in other words, you read that whole thing and you just, do the two age thing in your mind the whole time. And uh, it keeps you away from the Gnostic idea. And it just keeps you yeah. along that Pauline idea. So, you know. There's a strong apologetic angle that he's he's really gunning for here. So he uses the whole in the world, but not of the world, the whole two age sort of structure that we're seeing yeah. as a way of demonstrating that these are the people who know God truly where idolatry doesn't mm. produce a people like this. Yeah. Jewish superstitions don't produce a people like this. Yes. Only God who has sent his son in the realities that he's brought through him creates a people like this. Yeah, no, totally. That's full on. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, all right, so that's uh, chapter six. Chapter six. So, I mean, there's only one other thing I want to highlight because yeah. we're probably out of time. Mm. You know, chap- chapter seven and chapter eight are all about the coming of Christ. Yes. And chapter eight, uh, chapter seven is so much worth uh, reading yeah. just in terms of uh, the purpose of sending Christ. Yeah. But then chapter nine, man, um, just has such an outstanding statement on what I would deem to be alien imputation of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought well, before we before we close, let's just read that. Yeah. And then we can bring it to an end. Mm-hmm. Cool. So chapter nine, um, the, the heading is why the sun was sent so late. Mm-hmm. But um, just sort of jumping in halfway through, it says, describing Christ, he himself took on the burden of our iniquities. Mm. He gave his own son as a ransom for us, the holy one for transgressors, the blameless one for the wicked the righteous one for the unrighteous, the incorruptible one for the corruptible, the immortal one for them that are mortal. For what other thing was capable of covering our sins than his righteousness? Oh, man. Wow. By what other one was it possible that we, the wicked and ungodly, could be justified than by the only Son of God? Listen to this. Where do you think Luther got it from? You know the marvelous exchange? Yes. Oh, sweet exchange. Oh, unsearchable operation. Oh, benefits surpassing all expectation that the wickedness of many should be hid in a single righteous one and the righteousness of one should justify many transgressors. You know what I think happened? Isn't that outstanding? I think, you know what happened? I think <laughs> Luther got hold of the original manuscript and he altered it. And now we're stuck with the Protestant version. That's what happened. <laughs> so Luther, Luther got his two kingdoms from yeah, uh, the and the Great Exchange. Isn't that Methetes. amazing? Yeah, come on. Amazing. There we go. Whoever this Methetes guy was, man, super Jedi. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the theology is awesome. Now, the last part of the letter, you know, from sort of chapter 11 onwards, there is a question mark over whether it's original. Yes. Because he really takes a left turn into strongly Gnostic ideas. But yes. chapter 10 is also awesome. Yes. But, uh, yeah, great letter overall. Thoroughly blessed by it. Totally, totally. So definitely worth a read. And uh, we might circle back and hit another chapter at some other point, but at least just to get it out the, uh, as one of the things we're reading, that's great. Um, cool, man. I love that though. The justification thing. Oh, wow. 
Amazing. Mm. It's really so just like, you, it's one of those things you just want to quote as one of the cutting edge substitutionary, Maybe. you know, uh, exchange sort of um, Protestant kind of quotes. You yeah. expect to read that. The, in. Reformation, the Reformation didn't invent the imputation of an alien righteousness. Amen. It's not medieval merit theology. Yeah. Here it is. Here it is. In Sorry. 130 AD. Man. Amen. Uh, even that last sentence, man, it's crazy. It's, um, Wow. There's, I'm just a, yeah. Oh wow. There's a, I'm just having my eyes are scanning across the, and I'm seeing like gold, gold mine after gold mine. So anyways, we'll have to come back and get this one later again. But that's awesome. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Oh man. Cheers. Um.